1: Log Talk Radio. It's not enough. Why doesn't he save this one, though? Why doesn't he, unless he's got two or three more in his bag?
0: Yeah, and keep in mind, Vince Carter also has a few stitches in that left hand. Where he incurred an injury dealing with weights in the weight room, so he stitched up in the left hand doing all this.
1: Oh, it's, it's over!
0: It's over! It's over, ladies and gentlemen! Judges are coming over the table to congratulate Vince Carter. This is unheard of. Oh, my goodness gracious, it is over. Did I call it Danny or what? Hey, Tracy McGrady, he doesn't even know what to do.
1: He's walking away. He plays with this guy every day. All
0: right, that's from the uh, 2000 Slams Dunk Contest. Not the best editing job on my part, but that's still, welcome to Hoops Talk Live. My name is Randy Zylka, along with no one, the only, the man behind the microphone, the man behind the pen, the man behind the keyboard, the man in the locker room himself, Mr. Bill Ingram, and Mr. Ingram. Good evening. On this, uh, on this couple weeks before NBA training camp opens, let's look back at some Duncan. How are you today, Mr. Bill?
1: <laughs> Doing great. Always a pleasure to uh, kick the ball around, as it were, as we're as we're just trying to find a way to kill time, right uh, now. Granted, being from Houston. I'm paying an awful lot of attention to baseball, and I expect to be paying attention to baseball well into October, but uh, other than that, uh, writing up, you know, as we're running all the team previews on uh, BackSportsPage.com, if you're looking for how your favorite team is going to fare, that's what we're working on right now, and uh, burying myself in stats as I try to work away the days before the, the preseason starts.
0: Well, Bill, and you say that, you're you're a Texas guy, I'm a New York, New York guy, so I'm pretty sure at some point or another the basketball talk will stop and we'll be yelling at each other about the Astros and the Yankees. But we'll save that conversation for another <laughs> point. Hey, if you'd like to follow the show, of course, go to backsportspage.com. the show located on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Anchor, anywhere you listen to your podcast, that's where we are. We're on all the platforms. But obviously, Spotify and iTunes are, and Apple Music, of course, are the most popular. And, uh, Bill, you know, you talked to a few people after last week's show about Clyde the Clyde Drexler. It went pretty well. Uh, what, what kind of feedback have you gotten from some of the people that you spoke with?
1: A lot of people told me that they uh, appreciated it because they remembered Clyde. And I had a few people tell me that they appreciated it because they had forgotten, if you can believe that. I mean, come on. But they had forgotten how good Clyde Drexler was. Uh, and that era of basketball, and so I think, you know, the the great thing, and, and I've been telling some of our young writers at Back Sports Page, I've been, I've been telling them, look, it's important to connect to history, because with sports in particular, history is so important, the perspective that you get from the context of where the league has been, where it's coming from, the great players that made the league what it is today and when you can touch back to that history it really enriches what you're writing about in the, about the present and
0: the topic from Clyde Drexler uh the feedback I got was it was a lot of fun and if people like the fact that we went back and we dug back and gave a little bit of the history of Clyde Drexler with Portland and how we basically shaped it into the trade and how the story culminated with the championship that year. with And then, of course, you told us about the great story with Charles Barkley and Clyde Drexler towards the end of the story. So it was really, really good. I, really, I got the feedback. It was very, very good that people enjoyed it. We'll figure out what we're going to do for next week. We'll talk about that. I know you and I have some uh, ideas. Uh, there's one topic that's very, very fun because he happens to be a guy in our generation who has the most championships ever but we, uh, in our generation. But we'll, uh, we'll discuss that at a point. But today's topic is we're going back and talking about the 2000 Slam Dunk Contest. And the reason why we chose this one is because it's got significance. The NBA Slam Dunk Contest has been a major part of the NBA All-Star Weekend all the way back from the ABA days back in 1976. Um, again, that's a little bit before my time. That was three years before I was born. But eventually <laughs> it transitioned into the 80s, and, of course, it went into the NBA And it's one of the more popular events of All-Star Weekend. And originally it wasn't a rising star showcase on younger guys type of competition. Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Well, no. Originally it was the stars duking it out. I mean, when you talk about the two gentlemen who defined the NBA slam dunk contest for a generation, I mean, every year you couldn't wait to see Dominique Wilkins and Michael Jordan go at it again. And, uh, in fact, <laughs> I would say the in 1988, so Jordan won the dunk competition in 87, but in 88, the All-Star Weekend was in Chicago, and Dominique Wilkins was totally cheated out of that because it was on Michael's home court. But, uh, of course, you know, you're talking about the two great, perhaps the two great dunkers of all time. Those two guys were just incredible. Jordan's free throw line dunk, of course, still the stuff of legends.
0: Yeah, and I believe he was the first guard. Not the first guy who did that in the dunk, contest, but the first guard who did it. And also, he also made it look so easy with the way he curled his legs up in the back and just sort of hung there for a minute. It was like, if you're watching it and you feel like it was in slow-mo, you were able to make a sandwich while you're still in the air, be able to have uh, a drink or two while you're waiting for him to land. <laughs> but that's just the way it was. Um, and when you look back at some of the past winners, like you said, through the eighties and the nineties, the first time the NBA really took it, uh, took the All Star uh, Slam Dunk contest to the All Star Weekend was back in nineteen eighty four, where Larry Nance, uh, the father of of uh, oh my god, Larry his Nance, Nance Junior. Larry Nance Junior. Larry Larry Nance Cleveland. Yeah, it's, you know, yep. it's, it's funny. I forget his name. But it's actually the same name. Larry Nance Junior. Uh, dad what it. <laughs> yeah, nineteen eighty four in Denver. I know. Ugh. Terrible. Terrible job on my
1: part. <laughs> What's uh, his name again? Then in oh, 19- yeah, <laughs> yeah you, know, you know,
0: Larry Nance. Larry Nance's son, you know, Larry Nance. Uh, and then in you know, 2017,
1: back Glenn, back Glenn Robinson, whose father was... Um, what was his name? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Glenn Robinson. Yeah, <laughs> I'm never going to live this down. Seven shows from now, we're supposed to be <laughs> far <enough. laughs> La- Hey, Glenn you can... Yeah,
1: hey, for the, y'all, y'all don't know this, but uh, my esteemed co-host had uh, to go to the dentist today, so perhaps the Novocaine is still uh, slightly lingering in his system. <laughs>
0: uh, you know what? Yeah, probably at this point. Sure, why not? I'll take it. Uh, you know, we'll blame it on that anyway. Back, I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll, it's, a, it's a great excuse. I'll take it. Um, if you look back at some of the slam dunk winners, especially through the 80s and 90s, Larry Nance, you have Dominique Wilkins, Spud Webb. Now, Spud Web you and I can always make the argument just because he was a guy who was under six foot and he was able to dunk it. He automated just like, just here's the trophy. So take it. Enjoy. it. Yeah.
1: Just, just the fact that you you dunked it. (laughs) However you did it. Yeah. (laughs) I had a poster of that as a kid. I had the, I had the sports illustrated poster of him dunking and it's just incredible to see how much uh, air is between his feet and the, the court, you know, like, As much as Michael had springs in his legs, man, Spud Webb, that guy could fly. Well, I
0: want you to let me know when I name the next three or four, which name doesn't belong. Okay, so you had Larry Nance in 84, Dominique Wilkins in 95. We know about the story with Spud Webb in in 96. I I know where you're going. Michael Jordan in 88, Kenny Skywalker in 1989, Dominique Wilkins in 1990. Which one of those
1: names don't belong? (laughs) <laughs> who was who was that one Walker? What?
0: <laughs> Luke Skywalker. Kenny, Kenny Skywalker. Yeah. yeah, Luke Skywalker. Kenny like, Skywalker. Yeah, and yeah, I, I think he was
1: like, wasn't he out of the league like a year later? <laughs>
0: yeah, he was. I mean, I mean
1: hey, hey he do respect, he respect. It, it, yeah, he had a great it, dunk. I mean, I, I remember watching that one as a kid too. Of course, it was in Houston. I I grew up in Houston. But, yeah, it was like, who is this guy? Wow, that was a great dunk. Who was that guy? Oh, he's not in the league anymore. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I think as we go down this list here, there's a few of them. Uh, so, so you, have, um, you have Dominique Wilkins back in 1990. Charlotte had Deep Brown win. That was one of the more comical ones because when you go back and watch him dunk, he puts his, his head in his arm and he dunks the ball. And you're sitting there going, all right, that's yep. cute. Oh, that one. Oh. All right, all right. <laughs> All right, that was cute. Then uh, 1992, (laughs) Cedric Sabalos, where he put the blindfold over his eyes. And by the way, all these slam dunk contests are are available on YouTube. You can find them somewhere and watch them. I can start breaking down some of them. Yeah, Yeah, everything's on YouTube now. Um, Cedric Sabalos put a blindfold on his face. I can tell you probably he was able to see through it. Uh, (laughs) Probably. (laughs) I (laughs) I always thought
1: so. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, then in '93, which I always thought was a very fun All-Star weekend, Harold Miner, aka Baby Jordan, won the yep. slam dunk contest.
1: Who was, was like, almost crazy. traded for Clyde Drexler, which we tie back last to last week week's show. Was...
0: <laughs> yeah, which was like, okay. Mm-hmm. I remember watching him going, man, yeah, that's you know, because I used to, I used to collect uh, basketball cards, and I had a whole bunch of Harold Miner rookie cards, and they're like. Looked up in the price guide and they were like a dollar fifty two dollars each and like this guy's giving you a star man look the price guide says so <laughs> and then yeah yeah you know, we know saw how that worked out then the following now year now they're going for I, ten, 10 I, cents yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no, now they're what they're calling a common card they're like a penny um, <laughs> then you have Isaiah Ryder from the Minnesota Timberwolves winning in nineteen ninety four and he was the first one to really go through the legs yeah uh, in a slam dunk contest. And really, yeah, he was an incredible dude. Like, he coach. was very,
1: yeah.
0: very innovative. And it's a shame that he, like, you want to talk about a guy whose career went off the rails. My God. Mm-hmm. Isaiah, Isaiah Ryder. He was, I think, the first guy who was ever booted out of Minnesota. You usually get thrown to Minnesota when you've been punished for those winters. Yeah. He got, <laughs> he got, he got booted out of there. So, yeah. man, if anyone's in Minnesota listening, I do apologize. I mean, we we usually mean it with the most <laughs> positive standpoint. <laughs> I don't mean anything negative. Uh, Minnesota's very beautiful, twin cities. But at the same time, man, Isaiah Rotterdell, everything had to be thrown out of there. But went to the Lakers, tried to compete for a championship, and you know how that worked out. So, uh, and then Harold Miner won it again in Phoenix, fresh off his rehab stance. And then... Uh, Then it gets interesting when we hit the 96 and 97s. Brent Barry. Yep. Known for 3 point shooting. (laughs) Yeah, which was very weird. And he goes from the foul line with a one-hand dunk, and apparently that's enough for him to win the slam dunk contest in 1996. And then as you and I discussed it right before we went on the air, in Cleveland, it would not be the first time ever in Cleveland where Kobe Bryant got booed out of the building for winning something. Kobe Bryant
1: <laughs> wins the Slam Dunk contest. And to be clear, now, this was were... rookie season, Kobe, before he was a big name, before everybody just worshipped the ground he walked on. So at this point, Kobe Bryant's not a name when he won the Slam Dunk competition. Though, now, hey, you got to gotta say, though, the the competition he faced was so stiff. I mean, man, Bobby Sura, uh, Darvin Ham, <laughs> Chris Carr, like, these are some of the great elite players that – oh, yeah. Well, Michael Finley and Ray Allen, though, uh, were were good players. Not guys that you typically thought of as, you know, flam dunk champs. But uh, at least they were named players at the time.
0: Sure. I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Ray Allen, Michael not stars,
1: Finley. Not you know, at that point. But at Chris least stars. they weren't Bob Sura and Chris Carr. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm in Darvin Ham. Yeah, okay. Uh, so let's talk about this one though, because you were you were covering the league at this point. What was the reception was. around that point? You were you? Were, I'm a, I'm pretty sure you wish you had the night off on that one. Um, and what was the general feeling at that point about the slam dunk contest? If you were covering the league at that point, what was the general feeling? Was it one of those? Okay, we think this might have run our course. Run its course. What What was the general feeling of it around this point
1: upon the media? It's very much. It was very much the same as it is now. Which is, man, I really wish the stars. You, you hear this all the time. Where's LeBron James? You know, where are the big names? Where's Kevin Durant? Where's uh, James Harden? Where's Russell Westbrook? Where you know, where where are the all stars in the dunk contest? Because. People really don't want to watch third-tier, like second-unit players. But people just don't want to watch them. And I don't care how creative or good or it's hard to do something new, unless you're going to put a Kia out on the court or you're going to wear a Superman cape or you're going to, you know, be Kryptonite or something. There were there were some really creative ones when it was still stars in the dunk contest. But at that time, kind of like now. And I love, I was re-watching that dunk contest uh, earlier today, prepping for today's show, and the Kembe Matumbos on the sideline, like, yawning, like, oh, because they just kept missing dunk after dunk. And you're like, is can somebody please win this so we can get on to whatever's next? So I understood them replacing it uh, with the, in, the NBA, WNBA two-on-two uh, competition, which I actually liked because hey, I was a big fan of the Houston Comets, and they won the first four WNBA championships. And at one point, I was sitting uh, courtside watching a Rockets game, and I was sitting next to – my seat was next to Cynthia Cooper, who was the starting point guard for the Comets. And I was like, man, Cynthia, if I could trade you for Steve Francis right now, the Rockets would be a much better team. So I had a great (laughs) appreciation for the WNBA game, and I thought that was an interesting event. But it's not as interesting – as star players competing with each other for the dunk crown, and that's what the league got back to briefly, and has now gotten away from again.
0: I guess, and I guess the question then was too, like you just said, we we had that point where you basically had this new type of competition. This new type of competition, they didn't even want to really give it a second year. That's how. They really didn't. I guess they really didn't enjoy it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things. that's like, okay, well, that didn't work. Let's just bring back. Yeah, well, we fans did fans that.
1: Then, yeah, they got to do something to make Saturday well. not a snooze fest. That that in that uh, NBA the All Star Saturday, something has to make it not a snooze fest. And they're still looking for that thing. I mean, the thing is to have stars in the dunk contest and people will watch it. But short of that. And all the other sort of gimmicky – remember the the old-timers would come out and play, except they kept getting, like, hurt really bad, and so that was ugly to watch. Uh, As as fun as it was to watch some of the guys who could still ball, like, you know, Calvin Murphy looked like he could still play in the NBA. But, uh, you know, they've tried a lot of different things. And really what it comes down to is fans want to see the stars – Go at each other in the dunk contest. That's what we want to see. But we don't get But that. we promise we're. Yeah, you because know, the
0: problem is everyone's friends with each other. And they're like, oh, okay, the dunk is your thing. So we'll let you go do it. But yeah, here's. Oh, that's the other I thought thing. the worst it's one, a, a... though. Yeah, go the ahead. worst thing I ever saw. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But the, I think it was in 01, I think it was 02 or 03. They did the wheel. You remember, they spun the wheel.
1: Oh,
0: for so what kind like of game they, they were going to have to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, they, on, on the wheel, they had Dr. J classics, 1980s, on question mark, 1990s, human highlight film in His Airness, and they had a TV screen attached to it. Uh, and so, if you landed on a Jordan one day, would play a Jordan dunk for you, and that's the one you had to emulate. I thought it was yeah. so bad. And, like, and as an NBA fan, you're just like, like you just said, I want to see the stars, but at the same time, I also want to be entertained and I want to see some creativity. And, Doing stuff like that was just like, ah, oh. And like you said, that 97 slam dunk contest, I think, like they all said, this needs a reset or we need to do something different. And that sort of was like, okay. And then, but that's also at the same time, too, around that 96, 97, 98, the league was in a very weird transition because the guys who were the stars of the league in the first half of the 90s were starting to wear down a little bit. Yeah. Patrick Ewing was not the they same, were all retiring. same player. Yep. Yeah, like, you know, David Robinson, at this point in time, towards that, right before we got to that lockout time in 98, 99, David Robinson's um, game deteriorated down a little bit, or he had to make adjustments in his game. Yep. Or he, you know, he was sharing that spotlight with them. He
1: missed, missed most of a season right? or missed a whole season, that back injury, you know. And that's how the yeah. Spurs got yep. Tim Duncan while he was on the show. In fact, remember, it was Dominique Wilkins who – was sort of the guy that carried the Spurs that year. Not that they won any games, but he was great, uh, waiting for Tim Duncan to return. And Dominique played them right into the lottery, and they got uh, they got Tim Duncan out of that lottery.
0: Yeah, and and it's funny how those things, like that later part of the 90s, Ewing was on the decline. Elijah was on the decline. Shaq was rising. Kobe was a, year, a couple of years away from really getting there. Garnett was just entering mm-hmm. the league, so he was still – developing who he was. So it was just, and Jordan, Jordan was still on the top of his game, but you can tell that the field was catching up to him a little bit. That, in fact, that 1998 Eastern Conference Finals against the Pacers was the only time in the Jordan playoff era of championships that they went to a game seven with any series. Indiana pushed him to the yeah. limit.
1: So it was just Well, I remember the there was a lot of, the big question around NBA circles was, What's the NBA going to do when that generation of Bird, Magic, Akeem, Robinson, Jordan, Stockton, Malone, you know, those guys, Barkley, the guys that had defined the NBA were all the same age. They were all drafted right around the same time. They were all the same age. They were all retiring about the same time. And it was like, can the league survive when that 83, 84 great, I mean, all time great draft classes when they're gone? Uh, and it did. It took a while for for the NBA to reestablish itself, and it did with Shaq and Kobe and KG and a whole bunch of guys. But it wasn't right away. There was a period where the NBA experienced a lull, and uh, you know that that is the time period that we're talking about.
0: Well, let me ask you a question, and this is a little off topic, and I and I gotta, and I think it's a fair question to ask about that time period. Kobe Bryant sort of stepped up. On the Western Conference side of it, to be the guy to watch, you know, became a, uh, one of the biggest superstars in the history of the NBA, uh, and I think Absolutely. it's an assessment of him. Do you think it hurt him? Remember, remember, right now we live in a different time frame where you can watch any game anywhere across the across the country. Yeah. But at that point in time, right. watching the games in the West were very difficult on the East Coast. Do you think because he was sort of the poster boy of the league, but he was on the West Coast, that that affected? The league, because it was such a heavy East Coast
1: time frame uh, type type of league at that point in time, affected the league in that the best player on the best team was on the West Coast. Um, yeah, and you're and you're yeah. talking about where there had been so many when Doctor J was in Philly and Bird and that whole crew was in Boston, and there were quite a few iconic, really great players on the, on that, in that time zone. Uh, and they, and as we were just saying, they did all retire at the same time. So you've got these huge markets where their iconic players have retired and the next iconic player is on the West coast. And that could be, yeah. that's a valid point, a valid question, because those, get, everybody's in bed by the time that if you're in here you're yeah. on the East coast, you're in bed certainly before halftime of any West coast game. So that's a valid point. Valid point Because if you look at it like this Jordan retired in the, at the end of 98
0: you make it when, the, when the league got started Back in 1999 The Eastern Conference representative In the NBA Finals was the Indiana Pacers Which Reggie yep. Miller Was sort of on the tail end of his Relevance at that point so mm-hmm. Now Reggie had some great yep. seasons Still but I'm talking about As far as King, Rick Smith, yeah.
1: Mark Jackson
0: Yeah like the that team, that team was, that was like the last shot for Reggie at, 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 as a serious contender, as a champion. Yeah. The following year, it was Allen Iverson. And Allen Iverson was sort yeah. of the post boy of the Eastern Conference. And, and he rubbed a lot of people, from a lot of people who I know in, this, in those circles, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. So, yeah, dude I know dude. why too, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah well, we can't talk about it
1: on the show, but you know, it's nope, we it's can't one of those
0: things. Where, yeah. <laughs> we can't talk about that, but like yeah. did you you and I both George Carl gave things, me the uh, like,
1: real skinny on Alan Iverson when he was after they traded <laughs> yeah. out after you know he was in Denver, and after they traded Allen Iverson, I was sitting in that visitor's uh coach's office in the American Airlines center here in Dallas. And uh, George Carl just un- unleashed. It was just me and him sitting there, and he's like, "Man, let me just tell you," <laughs>
0: and he oh, unloaded I,
1: you know. on on Iverson and Carmelo, and I was just like, "Okay, well, my, I can never my, tell my any favorite, of these stories." <laughs>
0: my my favorite was the following
1: season after they traded Melo.
0: We saw Denver at the Garden, and I got that. So I went over to George, and I said to him, "I'm like." If you don't mind me asking, because, you know, obviously he had such a major say in that deal. I'm like, why didn't you take yeah, the Barry. Nets offer? Because it had, you know, I asked, why didn't you take the Nets off? Because it was such a, it was a good young package. You're getting draft picks. getting Devin Harris, Derek Favors, young players. And mm-hmm. he said to me at the time, he's like, if we would have done that, I, he goes, I don't know how many years I have left coaching. So if I would have taken that package, there's no guarantee we would have been in the playoffs the next three years. And I, I'm coaching for now, yeah. and I like the guys that we've got. He's like, he's like, he's like armchair quarterback aside, I like the guys that we've got. I'm not here for the future. I'm here for right now. And I'm like, oh. And they made the I'm playoffs like, still, with Gallinari. They made the playoffs the next Jack
1: two Bruce, seasons. Yeah.
0: yeah. They yeah. made the playoffs the next two seasons. So it's like, yeah. you can't kill him because he's right. But
1: That's right.
0: It was just uh, – but do that what they May. At that point in time, the Eastern Conference was sort of looking for an identity and the league was looking for a star. And I think Kobe Bryant, yeah. Allen Iverson, and, and, and you have to throw Shaq in there too because Shaq, I think, was still – well, I, don't, I don't think after, when Shaq went to L.A., he was still a mega star in the league. I think out in the yeah. in pop culture, Shaq was still a name. But as far as in the NBA, the basketball purists, he wasn't. And I thought they did a, the best they can. Not a great job, but the best they can, the bridge they got from Jordan to LeBron. Because once LeBron came into the league, it was his league. Yeah. Yeah, and
1: then now, That's I mean, look at the league now. You've got Kevin Durant. You've got Steph Curry. You've got James Harden. You've got Russell Westbrook. I mean, you have stars all over the place, like you had in the 80s and early 90s. The league is in great shape, and especially – with the, the arrival of Europe and, and, you know, the international game has exploded and all these guys are in the NBA that, uh, from all these different countries. And, um, yeah, that gap. And that gap, too, that is where the slam dunk contest was. It represented the gap that was happening league-wide uh, when you talk about star power. But the other thing about the dunk contest that I think causes it to be where it is now because Dwight told me this, I got to know Dwight Howard quite well. Uh, both I got to know him in Orlando, and then of course he was in Houston. So um, he said, "Look, when they started, the NBA started limiting what you could do. You couldn't raise the basket. You couldn't bring a car. You couldn't like all the things that made it <laughs> interesting. You know, the the Dwight raised the bucket two feet. Uh, you know, Blake Griffin dump, dunking over the car that he represented on his commercials." Like, there were a lot of things happening, and the league started going, oh, you can't do that. Oh, you can't do that. And Dwight told me point blank the reason he didn't dunk anymore after the the whole kryptonite Superman thing was because the NBA started saying you couldn't do anything. And he said, look, I want to be creative, and if I can't be creative, I don't want to just go out there and dunk. That's boring. And I agreed with him. So the league kind of did it just, to themselves. Hey, let these guys be creative. <laughs> let them – do what they want to do, you know. I mean, within reason, but, you know, why not dunk over a car? Why not raise the goal?
0: <laughs> and that was the last intelligent thing that Dwight said. <laughs> yeah, it
1: absolutely was. <laughs> Unfortunately.
0: <laughs> well, but let's look Let's look back at the 2000 NBA Slam Dunk Contest, uh, some of the competitors here. And if you look at this lineup, it was actually a pretty decent lineup. You have – let's start from the bottom up. Obviously, we know Vince Carter was there, and Vince Carter was the winner. But you had Jerry yep. Stackhouse, Tracy mm-hmm. McGrady, another another yep. guy who came into the league with, you know, a, after high school. Took a yep. couple years to find his footing, and then uh, became one of the major stars in this league. Larry Hughes, who you and I have talked about in the past, had a stellar, had a, not a, not a yep. you know, all star caliber career, but a stellar NBA career, multiple teams, but contributed mm-hmm. on the majority of the teams he was on. Steve Francis, who you knew very well.
1: Oh, yeah. Stevie Francis, Yep.
0: And Ricky Davis, who, again, stellar NBA career, played for multiple teams and was a contributor on a lot of different NBA teams, and, of course, Vince Carter.
1: This was a very strong NBA
0: lineup. Yeah, it's a great field. And the dunks were, I think, out of the worst of that group was Jerry Stackhouse.
1: Yeah. Yep, and Stack and was I mean, a good dunker too.
0: <laughs> yeah, and Stack was a Stack. You know what? Stack was a game dunker. Stack was really yeah. a game dunker, and I felt that he was a little over his head in this competition. Um, the only thing I don't have are the numbers for each dunk. But I don't think that's really really a necessity at this point. We're not going to start breaking down dunk from dunk. That's just a little silly. But yeah. if you look at the impact, <laughs> you know, and like people forget that Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady, not only Cousins, but are also on the same team. At this point in time.
1: Yep. We're both in Toronto. Tracy,
0: talk to me about around that time, coming out of the lockout, going into that first full season after the lockout, guys like Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, you were down in Texas. What was the buzz like about them around that
1: time? Well, there was just a level of excitement about it because after the lockout, you needed something to be excited about. Um, and, of course, uh, Tracy would eventually be a Rocket, and I got to know him there, and he was a very cerebral guy, a really interesting guy to interview, had a really interesting way of looking at the league, kind of like Shane Battier, where when you talk to him, you'd always learn something if you ask the right questions. If you ask good questions, you got great answers. And so I think you had guys who were smart about it. You had guys who had a flair for the dramatic, and obviously, Vince, I mean, good Lord, just the – and it, I think it's it's overstated. It's, it's, it is it's stated too much to say, well, they're very talented dunkers. Hello, it's the NBA, <laughs> like, of course. But to take it from, as you say, like Sackhouse, great game dunker, and to take the ability, like the, the elbow, you know, Vince just was showing off how high he could jump with the elbow and the head and the the net and, you know, the whole thing. But that level of creativity, and uh, I don't know if they understood at the time, and we'll talk to Vince about this and ask him uh, here before too long, but did they understand that there needed to be some drama involved because interest in the NBA was not particularly high uh, after the lockout? It was not. The, the golden age of the league by any means. And so these guys represented um, some excitement you know, to inject back into the fan base and get people interested again, get them watching All-Star Weekend, because you just couldn't wait to see what these guys were going to do next. You know, Mark Spears, who's been around uh, for a long time
0: covering the NBA, I found an interview mm-hmm. that he had done with Vince Carter asking about the NBA All-Star Slam Dunk Contest. And he asked him, what do you remember about the call you got for your first NBA All-Star game in 2000? And he said, he goes, I couldn't stop smiling. Obviously, you get through the season accomplishing what you can accomplish in the season. You want to be a good player as possible and get recognized. It's an honor just to be an All-Star. You you can't beat that. And being a leading vote-getter was unbelievable. Just think about the stars at that time. Allen Iverson, Michael Jordan were playing still. You were in an element. You were in awe. Then the reality of, of, man, I'm an all star, especially the first time in 2000, it was tough the first year because I got the phone call to be in the dunk contest, which I always wanted to do. I hope this doesn't sound weird, but I was just excited to be invited, just have the invite to the dunk contest. I was getting the call to be an all star as well. I've always wanted to do the dunk contest, I was looking forward to it. And then when the reality of it hit me, I couldn't believe it. I was like, thank goodness. So, you know, you talked about that uh, as far as the. Being an NBA All Star, but then Mark asked again, "Could, you, could your performance in the winning of this slam dunk contest be the most memorable moment of your NBA career?" He, his response was, "I said yes because that's where it started. That that kicked off who I become. That night, holding that trophy up, from that moment on to this day, it turned me into a different person. The first part of the season comes. I'm learning my way, figuring it out. I was just getting better and better. I got to the go to the game. It was just being there." Being with the best of the best, I belonged here, I earned it, I just became a different person. And then one more one more with the dunk contest. What was the moment like when you won the slam dunk contest? I've watched the dunk contest over and over. Studied them and not just try to watch it, the actual dunk, but just watch them as they're walking off, sitting there. All the stuff that goes behind the scenes, the whole thing, I was just trying to be in the moment. And when I was in the moment, I was in the moment. I had been watching it for so long and I'm here now. I had moments where I thought, and how would I feel, react, when the NBA commissioner, David Stern, gives me that trophy? I don't think David Stern ever gave the slam dunk concert, <laughs> trophy. I'm trying to figure out exactly what he was saying there. All this stuff sets in. <laughs> I went through all that but never knew how I would feel. And then I'm in the moment, got there. I remember holding up the trophy up because that's what everybody everybody does It's and it's supposed to do. There's not really a handbook. You got to go with the flow. But Stern was like, get the trophy up. It's your stage. I see the, all the camera lights flashing going off. And I'm thinking, damn, this is what I I used to watch all the time. Dominique Spud was there, and Jordan, Dr. J, all these people I've watched. Now, I'm in the circuit doing doing it as a kid the next dunker. It was crazy. I walked off the stage, and one of the first people I met was one of my heroes, Dr. J. So once we got back, as soon as they opened up the curtain, Dr. J was right there and he said, congratulations, it's over. You can't tell me nothing. Irving was great. He was nice to take a photo with me holding the trophy. He didn't have to do that, but he did that. But it was a great moment for me. All the things that I thought about, all the things just came to life. Icing on the cake. Go to sleep. Then how about this? Sunday is the next stream. You're playing in the all-star game with some of the best. It was awesome. Now you can poke holes in some of the things that he said here. Because, one, Jordan was retired at that point. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that's the first thing you have to – that's the first hole you have to poke. Two, I don't remember David Stern ever handing out the NBA slam dunk trophy unless he was doing it before it got sponsored. Because remember, like, then Sprite started sponsoring the NBA All-Star game. Uh, Sorry, Sprite. Sprite Yeah, but that was before.
1: That was, remember, the NBA. That was before the NBA started labeling everything. Everything has to have a sponsor now. Hell, I went to an Astros game a couple weeks ago, and every inning was the and I don't remember what they are because I'm fairly immune to advertising. There's just too much of it. But it was the Snickers fourth inning and the, you know, Sun Drop eighth inning, you know, blah, 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 whatever, whatever the things were. But every inning had a sponsor. The foul poles had sponsors. In the NBA, it's the such and such free throw, right? It's the the Gatorade free throw and the Sprite slam dunk and the the, uh, Under Armour – a uh, replay of the, like everything has uh, a corporate sponsor attached to it to the point that it's just ridiculous now even the jerseys of course have you know sponsors on them yeah, I
0: hear um, that. in fact we I, I we did a thing movie.
1: for it's horrible we did a thing for sprite they contracted us when, with hoops world uh to do a series with the uh the dunk contest participants back uh, probably, ten, this has been 10 or 12 years ago, and we would sit down with them and talk about their fa- what, who was their favorite dunker of all time, and i got to tell you, the number one answer was not Michael Jordan. Now, granted, these guys were all a lot younger than me. They didn't grow up watching Michael Jordan. The number one answer was Vince Carter, but the, the greatest, <laughs> the, the most memorable moment to me was when I sat down with Brandon Roy. Now, this was before the unfortunate knee injuries, and he was really one of the great rising stars of the league for Portland. And uh, we were walking into the Mavericks visitors locker room to shoot this video about his favorite memory of the all-star game, which was the Vince Carter dunk. Uh, And we, there's a Coke machine or not a machine, but a Coke refrigerator right before you walk into the locker room and you can grab Gatorade or Sprite or Coke or whatever. And I said, Hey, Brandon, why don't you hold a Sprite? And uh, while we're doing it just to, because it'll be cool because we're doing it for Sprite. And he said, Bill, you know, I get what you're saying, but I don't want kids who watch this to think that you can drink a soda and be an elite athlete. And I was like, hmm. wow. My respect for Brandon Roy was already through the roof, and, and it grew exponentially. And so then the next time I talked to Kobe, who is the poster child for Sprite, I don't know if he still is, but he was because uh, I don't – who watches commercial television anymore? But – I asked Kobe, you know, just out of curiosity, how much Sprite do you drink, like, on average? And he said – he looked at me and he said, Bill, I'm an elite professional athlete. When you see me <laughs> drinking a Sprite on the commercial, there's water in the bottle. <laughs> and I was like – I love that. Okay.
0: I absolutely love that. <laughs> That's big, but that, that whole generation, who do they been... look up to?
1: They, look, they all look up to Vince Carter, every one of them.
0: Now, I will tell you, too, after uh, you know his days in Toronto when he came to Jersey, I was lucky enough to not only be around the team to cover the team and work for the team, but being able to watch him. And I feel because of the slam dunk contest and because he came from North Carolina and because of the situation that he was in, I think he unfairly got labeled in that same category as Michael Jordan. And the problem is he wasn't. He probably was a little no. bit more versatile than Michael was. But I just feel because he didn't win championships and have that expectation, he didn't live up to the expectation level that everybody threw on him, people don't look at him the same. And now he's still playing today, contributing to a young Atlanta Hawks team.
1: Yeah, And as a veteran as well as, as a player. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and I'll tell you, one of the things that I, I spoke to Vince the last time I spoke with him, I asked him flat out, "What was the one thing he learned about his time in New Jersey?" He said, "Playing with Jason Kidd, he, said, he learned so much from playing with Jason Kidd. And then after Jason left, it taught him to learn how to be a leader and to be more of a professional. And I'll tell you, he when he took over that Jersey team after Jason Kidd left that following season, I mean, it was a tough year for that team. So Vince was hitting game-winning shots. He was talking to the young kids. He was helping Devin Harris around. He was helping Brooke Lopez, Ryan Anderson, Chris Douglas Roberts. He was helping all of those guys. And you should have seen the type of professional Vince, was. And Vince said, you know, if this was. If this was me three years ago, this would be a totally different guy. So, I'll tell you, Vince Carter, winning that slam dunk contest was exciting. But I will tell you that it's now he is a total veteran and the league's gonna be missing somebody
1: when he steps away. Yeah, it really will. And and I get what he was saying when he said that, you know, that meant he had arrived. So much of being a superstar in the NBA, the difference between being a good player and a great player, a lot of that is just confidence and your mentality and believing you belong. And when you think about Michael and Kobe, their mental toughness, Tim Duncan. Uh, Elijah on bird magic, the mental toughness, Chauncey Billups means, you know, the great champions, the mental toughness that it takes. Where does that come from? Something has to happen to give them that mental toughness. And then once they have it, it transforms who they are. So Vince talking about that. Now he understood that he belonged and he's belonged ever since in every capacity that he's been in, whether competing for a championship or being a mentor to young players, which is his role now, Sacramento and Atlanta. Uh, And how interesting would it be now to sit down with Trey Young and say, hey, what has Vince Carter done for you? You know, runner up for rookie of the year, Uh, you know, and and to have those conversations and to learn uh, what Vince is doing now in this capacity, I think uh, will be fascinating as we look to sit down with those guys this season.
0: Talk about this uh, field for the slams on competition Obviously, everybody seemed to go. Everyone seems to go their separate ways. Why do you think it didn't work out with Tracy and Vince on the same team?
1: Well, you see this sometimes, uh, and I'll give you a great example: Steve Nash and Dirk Nowitzki. Sometimes when you have someone, and of course they're cousins, and uh, Steve and Dirk were best friends. And they're going out partying all the time and their focus wasn't really on winning. They were young players um, who were still kind of caught up in the, the limelight and the fame. And if Steve Nash doesn't get, uh, doesn't wind up in Phoenix, I don't think he or Dirk become MVP players. They had to be separated to realize their potential. And maybe that was the case with Tracy and Vince as well. When you are, deferring, or you don't recognize that you are the star. If you're kind of looking at the other guy and the other guy may be kind of looking at you, uh, then it can be difficult to realize your full potential. Uh, and of course, Tracy fought that his whole career. Tracy McGrady never did win a championship until years, you know, riding the bench with San Antonio. Oh, here's your ring, by the way. But whenever he was a leader, he never could get his teams there. And some players just don't. Some players, for whatever reason, that doesn't develop. But we saw Vince and Tracy become very different players separate from each other, just like we saw Steve Nash and Dirk become very different players separate from each other. And even Kobe and Shaq, I think, fall into this category. Together, they were, there was one thing. It was a different dynamic. You separate them, and they're champions separately. Because they have to assume all of the responsibility, especially Kobe, Jack had, Dwayne Wade, but you have to assume more responsibility for your team, and it takes you, it can push you to a different level.
0: I'm like a guy like Jerry Stackhouse. Jerry was uh, drafted by Bill Nelkin, played with Allen Iverson, moved around the league to a couple different places, and had success, still was a 20 point scorer for a lot of years in the league. I felt like his career always fell short of being on that level and star like an all-star caliber level type of player. What, what what, didn't click for Jerry?
1: Well, I got to know Jerry quite well. He was in Dallas for quite a while. And uh, I, he was one of the guys I'd always go sit and just chat with, you know, pre-game, post-game. And consummate professional. But there are a lot of guys, a lot of guys who are were really good in the NBA who didn't win championships because they didn't quite have that. You know, Stack didn't have a killer mentality the way that Michael. I had the opportunity to sit down with Rodney McRae one time, and Rodney McRae was a legend to me growing up because he played with the Kings, you know, with the Rockets. But late in his career, he was in Chicago. And I had a chance to sit down with Rodney McRae. I was at SLU in college. I was at St. Louis University for a game and I forget why Rodney was there, but I but I just ran into I think he was coaching or something. I ran into him. I was like, My gosh, Rodney McRae. Like, oh my God. And he told me the story that the reason he he retired when he did was to get away from Michael Jordan because Michael was so intense and he rode everybody so hard. And he's like, at that point in my career, it wasn't worth it. I I wanted to love the game. I wanted to love showing up and playing basketball and working hard. And Michael made it. I just couldn't love the game because I hated him so much. (laughs) But I think, you know, Kobe, look at this, Kobe with the girl in in the team and she goes to her dance something and, Although I saw Kobe refute that, I don't know if it, how much of that story is true, but that mentality like, dude, you got to show up for our game. I don't care about your dance recital. <laughs> like, really? That killer mentality is what it takes to win championships. And there are a lot of amazing players in the NBA who don't have that killer mentality, and it's why they don't have championships.
0: You look at a guy like Steve Francis, loyal was to Houston for all those years, ended up then in Orlando, then played in New York. Was Steve just in the wrong place at the wrong time at the tail end of Elijah Wong's career? You know, was it just one of those things with him? I, I, I mean, we interviewed Steve before, we talked with him, he's a great guy. It just seemed to somehow just didn't seem to work out for Steve. What happened with him?
1: The problem with Steve, unfortunately, was alcoholism. It's 100% the reason that he didn't reach his potential. Um, you're talking about a guy who could jump jump out of the gym, uh, played with Yao Ming. I mean, th- those two could have been amazing. But Steve really was always a shooting guard and a point guard's body. He would call his own number when a teammate was open. And the fact that he just could not get past uh, alcohol was big. I, I knew um, – and not to name names, I don't want to put anybody's name out there. But when he was trying to come back, he went to a training program that a friend of mine runs. And my friend told him, now, look, if you're going to get back in the NBA, there there's some rules. You can't be late. If you're late, don't show up. And he was late the first day. And he was late because he was hungover. And my friend told him, bye, I don't have time for you. And he said it was really sad because here's Steve Francis, all this talent, all this ability, but he can't kick the alcohol long enough to to be as great as he could be. And that had so much to do with his lack of success in the league. And we see, you know, these, um, you see mental illness play a role. You see addiction play a role. um, Kids get involved in the wrong kind of stuff, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's something else, uh, performance enhancement stuff. And you see careers derailed because of these things and it's just sickening when you look back at how talented they were and to know that it was uh, a human failing you know not not blaming Steve or anything but just a human failing that caused uh, his career to not go where I mean hell we all everybody in Houston was so Stevie franchise man and it was so disappointing that he never lived up to that uh, nickname And and if he had you know you know Yao Ming was such a rare talent too, and at, before Yao had all those injuries, the two of them together could have really been something. And the reason they weren't was just Steve couldn't couldn't overcome his uh, his demons. Yeah, it's funny. Larry Hughes was in this contest too.
0: I, I, I was thinking about giving you a follow-up. No, I'll give you the follow-up question. Steve ended up going from. Houston to Orlando, and he ended up with New York. I don't remember if he made another stop or not uh, in the NBA. The final days of seeing him in New York, playing with the Larry Brown, was really sad. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it's like I was talking with Kenny Anderson. I'm sorry for name dropping Kenny, but you know Kenny says the league is a very unforgiving league because you, know, you always think that phone is going to ring for you. If, if they find out you're not in the team. You feel that like the gonna ring the phone is going to ring. for you. And when it doesn't ring, it's one of the most depressing feelings in
1: the world because the league will continue on without you. It. it absolutely will. And, hey, I've had lots of opportunities to talk to kids, middle school and high school basketball players who want to talk to me about all the the um, NBA guys, you know, all, all the stuff I've seen, all the people I've known and all that. And uh, I'll tell them, you know, you hear kids talk about, oh, that guy, that guy sucks that, that guy on the Cleveland Cavaliers or that guy, you know, some NBA players suck. I said, but you've got to understand something. The guy on the very end of the bench in a suit, because he's not even, there's not even a chance in garbage time that he's going to play. That guy was the greatest player in his state at some point, or he wouldn't be in the NBA. So you talk about him sucking. If he walked into this gym right now, he could take every one of you on one on 20 and destroy you. Like, you know, I, I think that perspective when you, when you lose that, you don't understand that if, you, if you're a guard in the league and you lose half a step, you're not in the league anymore. Half a step. Like it's insane. The level of ball being played is far and above anything that I think the average like kid that wants, you know, kids all. Oh, I'm going to play in the NBA. I don't think they understand that at just how good those guys are.
0: I have a great story for you. I know you'll appreciate this. Our good friend Ryan Scalabrine over at uh, Yeah, Sirius, and works with the Celtics. When Brian was in New Jersey. Brian was nice enough. I was coaching high school basketball all the time. And Brian came over and worked with my kids, he worked with my guys, you know, like my, my my high school guys. And we're sitting there, and he actually was running the court and playing with these guys. Like, he actually goes, guys, I he coach something, he was like, going Because I was in myself, Mike, my, these guys. Because, like, you know, you guys are running the bike like Scott Marks, right? I did So, you know, these guys are all going to you out, Brian. No, of course not. They had fun, and, you know, they're all busting up like, oh, so you want one of the next bench is here? Are you watching the bench sitting there yelling half-court shots? And like, when he's. <laughs> and he's running up and down the court with these guys, and some of my guys trying to throw trash, and Brian slams Doug right in the face. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's why you say, you know, some of the, the, these kids will always say, oh, that guy's trash, and this guy's trash is better than your APs.
1: So That's right. <laughs>
0: so I want to jump here over to Larry Hughes because I I, I interviewed Larry. I I like Larry. And Larry came over to the mix I had a chance to talk with him a couple of times. And Larry, I asked Larry what part you know, if he's there or go out to New York City and he said, you No, know, like I'm just getting acclimated to him now. And I asked him if he, you know if he brought his family over and he said, No, the family stays. My family stays back home and I and I do the thing on my road and i just fly from my family. And that's an aspect that I think a lot of people don't realize too. Some of these guys don't uproot their families. He was from St. Louis. So his whole family his wife and kids out in St. Louis. These guys are uproot- some of these guys don't their families their families have lots. So it's very hard for some of these players. So you know we 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 say about like, the drinking and the Extra substances that they take or the party life that they have. A no, lot of these guys are sort of, I don't want to say gorgeous, but that's the way the NBA lifestyle was. So, but they're looking at a guy like Andy Curry, who came to league at least 18, pretty much ruined his life. Yeah. He got so involved with the extracurricular. So I heard stories about him and Tyson Chandler since they were both drafted to Chicago the first year of them being in the league at the age of 18. Remember eighteen years old we're not really legal enough to drink, but they're sitting there at bars every single day getting out. Yeah. They're living the in any day lifestyle.
1: And it's like so, any other you. it's like any other job, any other career, you have different things like I mean, Jason Terry, I had the opportunity, uh, when we were publishing Swish magazine, um, we decided to do a feature, day in the life. And we kind of talked about all the different players who we do day in the life with. And I was like, man, let's do Jason Terry. Because Jet, talk about a committed husband and father off the court. Uh, and he has three little girls, uh, probably not little anymore, but when he was playing for the Mavericks, they were little. And so when he's home and during the summer, during the offseason, he's coaching their basketball team. Right? Like he's thoroughly involved in the lives of his children. And so being away, you know, and there's a lot of single guys in the league and a lot of, you know, guys that don't have families. But there's also a lot of guys that, hey, they're raising kids. They're trying to, uh, you know, David Morway was the general manager of the Pacers, uh, built that team around Paul George that was so incredibly good and got cheated out of the finals because San Antonio got in first and the NBA can't have two small markets in the league but built an incredibly good team and then through a sort of a underhanded way sort of got screwed out of that job by Larry Bird and the next year he was out of the league and I I was talking to him every so often he's like man you know I was like you want another GM job he's like I don't know I'm awfully happy being Like, he was an assistant GM in Milwaukee. Now he's an assistant GM in Utah. He's like the – I got reacquainted with my kids. Like, he's raising boys, you know, and now they're in high school. And, like, he's like, maybe when they're in college and they're out of the house, I'll go – I'd look for a GM job again. But so many of these players, coaches, general managers, they have families, and they're on the road, you know, half or more of the season – Depending on you know what what other kind of stuff they're having to you know whether it's summer league whether it's uh, going off to Chicago for pre-draft you know all, all the different events that happen through the through the season and, and through the off-season they're gone a lot and that can really take a toll uh, and that's where the harm comes in one of my pet peeves the trade rumor right oh it's so much fun fans just love trade rumors I hate them. I hate them because I've seen the impact that it has on players, on team continuity, team unity, Uh, because when people like to leak things, agents like to leak things to get their players' names out there. I've been told stuff by agents that I just didn't run because a trade rumor is a panic situation. For a player who has kids in school, you know, they have a house, their wife is there. Maybe the wife has a career in the city where they're playing, and a trade rumor is devastating to those guys. We have to remember, every, these are people with families, like real people. They're not just athletes. They don't just go out. They're not robots. They're real people with real lives outside of the game. And that's, I think, really critical to keep in mind when you're appreciating what they do on the court is the sacrifice that uh, the ver- just the extreme elite players, the sacrifice they're making uh, off the court.
0: It's very 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 true. And I remember talking with many many players. My my favorite conversation I had with that was with uh, a certain coach who is now an assistant coach with the Los Angeles Lakers, who happens to have a very high profile name. I'll let you put the uh, math together there on who that was. And uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, you might be the head coach of the Lakers on Startup and, and Mr. Vogel ends up being asked. So what he told me in a conversation is you, in, this, you, in this line of work it is exactly it where it's where In this line of work you have to have thick skin and you have to be able to zone out every all the noise around you. Because if you don't do that you're not gonna be able to focus on your job. And then something will happen to you when you're not being able to focus on your yeah. so yep. it's a very uh well not a lot not a lot of guys have a way to write their own ticket in and out of cities like he was able to at that time. That's, time. That's right. But uh, last guy from this um, group of players in the Samsung contest was Ricky Davis. And Ricky had a very interesting career. He was a journeyman, and I think it's it's fair to say he was a journeyman. Wasn't a 20-point-per-game guy, but he was a guy who was able to contribute and help make things better for a lot of different teams. your memories of Ricky Davis?
1: Of Ricky Davis? Yeah, um, absolutely not one of your star players. I remember him being a dagger three-point shooter. Uh, He was somebody that made a difference. He was one of the guys – like, well, like Jason Terry, um, one of the guys that was not – you didn't game plan for him, but he could hurt you uh, in a lot of different ways. And let's face it, most of the league is made up of that kind of player. You have the star players. Look, Kevin Durant will be a star. You can put him as we've seen. You can put him in Oklahoma. You can put him in Golden State. You can Now we'll see in Brooklyn once he's healthy. You can put LeBron on a lot of different teams, Steph Curry, um, you know. There's an A tier of player. They're going to be fine. They're going to – they can win wherever. But then there's a B tier, and the B tier are still very good players, but they need the right situation to make an impact. And that's where he comes in is you've got guys who struggle. (laughs) Look, Chauncey Billups is a classic example of this. In Denver, oh, God, this guy just can't play. Get him out of here. Then he goes to Detroit. He's a superstar there, right? So you've got guys who are impact players in some situations but not in every situation. And that's where Ricky Davis was in the league. He's one of those guys that in the right situation made a big difference. Uh, And then there were times where he didn't make a difference at all. But that's not so much a fault of him. The talent didn't change. What changes is the teammates, the coaching staff, the, you know, the ability to recognize what he's capable of doing and then put him in positions to do that and be successful. And, you know, the league is mostly made up of those kind of players. Guys that are in the right situation are great and in the wrong situation, you're like, what is he doing out there?
0: What did this Slams Dunk the two thousand Slam mean for the league and the
1: event Well, I think really what it meant was a re, sort of the beginning of a return to relevancy. I think Vince Carter well, I don't think Vince Carter did get a lot of people excited. As I said, I, I interviewed a lot of people, a lot of players who saw that dunk contest and it made them want to be in the NBA. And then they were, because here I am talking to them in the locker room, you know, Um, he got people excited about the NBA in a way that they hadn't been prior to that. Um, And I think that was emblematic because the league was just beginning to, as we talked about earlier, get the next tier of stars uh, that would eventually emerge. And I think Vince, that dunk contest, uh, I think, was emblematic of the fact that the NBA was turning the page. And uh, as that page turned, it began to emerge once again. And now, hey, the NBA is, I mean, I think the only thing more popular in the global sports world is soccer. You know, and soccer, for whatever reason, I, I've never been able to really watch it myself, but uh, soccer has just a ridiculous <laughs> following. But the NBA is gaining on it as you see teams all, you know, hey, South America and over in Europe and uh, China and, uh, you know, basketball is huge. Yao Ming has really helped that effort as well. But uh, you're seeing basketball as a sport at the height of its popularity. It's never been as popular as it is now. And prior to that year, prior to that dunk contest, pri- you know, at the year where there's no dunk, there's a lockout, then there's no dunk contest uh, the following year, and really what's the future of the NBA? And now you fast forward 19 years, and the league is at the height of its all time popularity. I think you can see that dunk contest as part of that turning point. Now, you look at the
0: competition years. Later, with Desley, we were going over the list. We saw so Mitty Robinson win three times, Dwight Howard won. Blake Griffin jumped over a car. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Instead of looking at some of the different things. And some of it's hokey. You know, we've worked with him. some of it's hokey, some of it's exciting. And then it's some of it's like we wonder who these guys are. I thought Zach Levine did a very nice job uh, in the years that he was in it. Yeah. Do you think the competition has lost luster? I know they're trying to gear it towards the younger stars, but that a guy like Zach would be we're able to
1: make his name and get a contract off of being in this competition. Well, I think the the it has definitely lost its luster. I honestly, I don't, I didn't even watch it last year because I was like, look at that field. I mean, I've seen every dunk you can do. Uh, I've I've been courtside for. A thousand NBA games and many All-Star weekends, and I've seen a lot. I was courtside for Dwight's, you know, Superman, you know, raising the rim and Kryptonite and and all that stuff, and that was fabulous. But uh, as we talked about, when the league started to limit some of the creativity, um, then the stars. And some of the stars too, as you look at wear and tear on the body, some of the stars don't want to participate because they want to take that time off. Since it's February and your the playoffs are right around the corner, some of the stars have decided they'd rather not participate just because of the wear and tear factor. Uh, all those all the things that come together to make it what it is have made it boring. <laughs> It's made it where you know if, if Matembo were sitting there, he'd be yawning again. And the way you're going to revitalize it is do what Vince did. You you got to have a star get in there and do something crazy, and then all the other stars have to want to get in and be like, oh, did you see what Vince did? Okay, next year, wait till you see what I'm going to do. And they all throw their throw their names in the ring. But does that does that level of competitiveness still exist? You mentioned that everybody's friends with everybody now, which is very true. It's it's a kinder, gentler league. Is there a feeling that, like, say uh, LeBron were to to go out there this year and do something crazy and win it, is KD going to be like, oh, wait till next year? I don't know. I I don't know if that would still exist the way that it did. That that level of uh, competition and rivalry, just that is not there right now. And so what can revive that? Uh, I don't know. But I'll tell you this. I would watch if KD and LeBron and, you know, Westbrook and if it was all the the marquee players of the league, I would watch the slam dunk contest. But if it's a bunch of, you know, second unit, third unit, Zach Levine, you know, I'm really – I could be watching a movie or something on that. You know, like I'll be binge-watching uh, The Orville or <laughs> something else rather than watching some guys that Cheers. are kind of irrelevant in the grand scheme. You'll
0: be watching Cheers. <laughs>
1: yeah, Cheers, uh, The Orville, any of the Star Trek shows, Stranger Things. I mean, there's so many. Longmire, uh, whatever show I happen to be on, House, uh, you know. <laughs> Something that uh, I enjoy watching, rather than watching some guys I really don't care about do dunks that are kind of. Eh, I grew up watching Jordan and Dominique and Nate Robinson and Bud Webb, and you know, after you've seen that, mm, okay. Can't <laughs> I
0: can't argue, argue this. Hey Bill you know this was fun. This was a great episode. We got, we really expanded on a lot of things. it wasn't exactly all about the contest the dunk numbers, but it's more of what the impact of, of that competition did around the league as well as what it did for that era of the NBA. Like you said, it jump-started the new era where you had guys like Vince Carter and Tommy Bryant and Jason Kidd. That era of guys played for a long time in the league and helped jump-start them. So, it was a very important time in the NBA. I'm glad we were able to really just break that down for everybody. and I think this, is really, this was a good one.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that was when I was first covering the league too. So having known a lot of those guys uh, and and seen firsthand the impact that that time had on the current NBA, uh, really it's it's you can't understate it. It was a, a very important time for the league, and hey, guys like Vince Carter are are every bit as responsible for the popularity of the league as LeBron and KD and Steph Curry and you know James Harden and those guys. It, it was a critical time in the history of the NBA.
0: Well, Phil, we'll, we'll do this again next week. We'll come up with uh, another great, fun topic that we can break down for the audience. I encourage everybody to uh, check us out on backsportspace.com and all the different podcasting platforms, mostly Spotify and iTunes. That's where you usually find us and, I, and Apple Music. You can find us on, there, all of our shows, every single week. You can follow him on Twitter at The Rocky Guy. I'm at RandyBSP. Shoot us a note, give us your feedback on the episode, let us know what you want to. Hear us talking about, we'll just maybe you know as time goes on, we'll start putting full cool questions up as also topics that you guys can pick. Again, you can check us out, check out his work at backsportspage.com. I'm all over the place at backsportspage.com as well as hosting 95,000 podcasts. <laughs> <as well. laughs> so it keeps, keeps me busy off the street and out trouble. So that's still, you know, the best way of uh, explaining it. But Bill, you know, this was a fun episode. We'll be back next week doing this again, my friend.
1: Always a pleasure, buddy.
0: All right, well, catching as we see you guys later. Thanks very much for tuning in. Ten is not enough. Why
1: doesn't he save this one though? Why doesn't he, Unless he's got two or three more in his bag. Yeah, and keep in mind, Vince Carter also has a few stitches in that left hand. Where he incurred an injury dealing with weights in the weight room, so he stitched up in the left hand doing all this. Oh, it's just
0: over. over. It's over, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the judges are coming
1: over the table to
0: congratulate Vince Carter. This is unheard of. My goodness gracious, it is over. Did I call it Danny or what? Hey, Tracy McGrady, he doesn't even know what to do. He's walking away. He plays with this guy every day,
1: and he's in.